When we create consequences, we are creating consequences that make taking the actions a foregone conclusion. I'm not going to get into a lot of them, but we are looking at things that you don't want to have happen. One of my favorites is somebody's consequence was that if she didn't do the actions, and by the way, folks, consequences are always against actions. We just don't have control of results. And I'll talk about that in a moment because I was in sales for so long. Yeah. We don't have control of the results. The only thing we can promise and we have absolute control of is the actions that we're going to take with a commitment to produce the result. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology, the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ojai, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction, not just at work, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals studied, practiced, and applied our approach, and found that those who transact powerfully thrive. Our featured interview is with Marnie Power, an organizational learning and development specialist at the University of Virginia School of Medicine in Charlottesville, Virginia. Marnie is also one of Influence Ecology's program leaders. Her primary role here is leading a 12-week program designed to put your priorities into practice. We'll talk a bit about her journey, but today we'll also ask her about the lessons learned by those she teaches and hear examples of how most results are quite achievable when you identify, commit to, and take the proper actions. We'll also ask her about consequence, the often missing component in most transactions. Later on, we'll hear a talk on consequence by co-founder Kirkland Tibbles. All right, Marnie, well, welcome. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. So take a moment and uh, introduce yourself. As John said, I am Marnie Power. I work at the University of Virginia, and I've been here for about two and a half years. My primary role is four very clear things. One is I provide coaching for senior leaders. I also provide consulting regarding performance improvement, which is what my background and my master's is in. And I also have been known as an organizational guru. So I have a lot of overwhelmed, incredibly busy senior faculty, some of the well-known doctors in this area who discover that they are an organizational mess. I sit down with them and I help them get their environment organized. It's actually one of my favorite things that I do here. So those are the primary things that I do. I've been with Influence Ecology. I think, John, it's been almost five years now. I think so. And I've been leading programs for about three and a half, almost four years. Tell us a little bit about how you got into what you do now with the University of Virginia. I created this position. I came in as a temporary employee, and I did that. I was doing some business development for Influence Ecology and found that I needed to do more to produce my financial aims. So I came in as a temporary part-time employee. And when I was in the interview, they were interviewing me for a particular job, and I told them I didn't want to work full-time. 
And the job was a full-time <laughs> role. I left thinking, well, no chance. I'm not going to get this job. However, I got a phone call the next day. And the person who was talking to me, she said, well, you've impressed all of us so much. We want to design a position for you. Mm. I was like, okay, cool. What do I get to do? And she said, what do you want to do? We want you. We want your skill set. We want what you have. What do you want to do? And from there, I began to craft more and more of what I wanted to do. And now I've developed a reputation for what I do. Everything I did in that interview and why I got this job was because of what I've learned in teaching our education. That's really great. Well, I have to take a moment to step aside. I appreciate the kudos you send our way, but I also want to let you know, we've known each other for 26 years. No, excuse 20, me. Gotcha. No, 21 years. 21 years. Okay, I was going to say, I didn't think it was quite that much. Yeah, about 21 years. 21 years. And if you ever meet Marnie Power in person, what you'll be impressed by is her power. And I love that. That's <laughs> your last name. I just love that. But but you are. You're an extremely powerful human being. And I've had the privilege at one time of having you be my boss. Then we switched roles and then I was your boss or vice versa. I don't know which one it was, but we've had the unique opportunity to change roles and be one another's bosses. But I just say all that to say I've always been quite impressed with you and what you provide and the way that you think. And it's great to have you here with us at Influence Ecology. Thanks, John. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about the program that you lead and putting priorities into practice? It's a 12-week program. And the program is actually called Priorities in Practice. Very well named. It is for the overwhelmed person. Mm. So yes, business professionals for sure, entrepreneurs for sure, managers. There are many, many managers who just have the experience of being overwhelmed we say that overwhelm is actually overcommitted. So people who come into this program tend to be people who don't have time to do this program. They're yeah. already too overwhelmed. And the thought of spending more time taking a program and doing homework, if you will, from a program seems a bit daunting. However, they find that as they're in the program, their overwhelm goes down, which I think is pretty powerful. That's great. <clears throat> And since the Priority and Practice program is now part of the curriculum for Influence Ecology, when this program first came into being and, and you began to lead it, mm -hmm. how did you find it helped the, the existing customers of Influence Ecology? And for those who've never heard of us, how did you find that it helped the people who are ambitious? They seek to have a truly satisfying life. What are some of the principal ways that it helped them? What it helps them with more than anything, the kinds of things that we want to do. So many of us have so many intentions. We intend to do so many things. You know, for myself, I've intended for a very long time to start my own business. I've intended to move to a different place. But as you can well see, I don't have my own business and I haven't moved. <laughs> They're just intentions. They're things that I'd love to do. As I've studied with us, I've realized that those intentions are not things I'm committed to. But then there's things that we intend to do that we really do want to have happen. And in the Priority and Practice program, we teach you how to do that. A lot of people have said to me is that they've got these really great intentions, these things that they want to do, or they start to do them, but they don't have the follow through. 
And in Priority and Practice, we take you through all the steps necessary to take something that you intend to do into a commitment and then take the actions that are necessary to satisfy your aims and get the results you want to get. And for a lot of people, they've got these great ideas of things that they really would like to do, but they don't know how to bring it down to the ground level and do what it takes to get it done. They don't think accurately about what is it going to take for me to accomplish this. And the Priority and Practice program, more than any of our other programs, teaches you that over a period of 12 weeks. 12 weeks you are focusing on implementing practices and habits to have you be successful. We say that the promise of the program is you will learn how to prioritize your commitments and satisfy your aims. Hmm. And people will come into this program with a lot of different things that they want to do. And by the end of the program, they're producing results in areas of their life that they've been hoping to, wanting to, trying to, and never achieving. So very good. Well, we're going to come back to that. But before we get there, let's let's tie all this into transactional competence since Influence Ecology is the leading business education in transactional competence. And you mentioned the transaction cycle. Mm-hmm. Connect what you just said with transactional competence. Why are those two things related? Very good. So the way I would say it, John, is that so many of us move. So when we have things that we want to do, oftentimes it is our experience that will determine the actions we take. An example I can give uh, very, very easy is for people who are interested in losing weight. They, they may say they're committed to it. They start to take certain actions and those actions don't produce the result that they want. And their experience is they look and say, you know what, that didn't produce a result at all. I'm done. I'm not going to continue this. And they stop. And that's not just in weight loss. That's in so many areas of our life that we create these actions. They don't produce what we want. And the experience of not getting what we want has a stop. That in, in our world is moving backward in our transactions. That what's going to inform the results is going to be first getting crystal clear what the goal is, committing to take specific actions, and taking those actions, getting the result that they want. Even if they're not producing the result that they want, they are committing to the actions. And we create, as you alluded to earlier, a consequential environment. They're not just committing to themselves, they're going to take specific actions. In this program, they make a commitment to me. They tell me exactly what actions they're going to take, how many times they're going to do it, and what we do is we measure everything along the way. We say if you mean it, you measure it. And that's missing for most people in the world is they don't measure. They cannot produce uh, recurring results because they don't measure the, the actions that they're taking. So they might produce really great results, but they couldn't tell you how they produced it. Or they could give you an idea, but they wouldn't be able to reproduce it exactly because they've never measured the actions and what they did to produce those results. Let's just stop there for just a second because that's that's just a, a wealth of, 
of stuff there. You and I both know that we have so many people that come to our program, and, and one of the biggest ways in which they're impacted is they have pursued a life of results. Everybody wants the result. Everybody wants you know more money. I want to be rich thin and <laughs> fill it fill in the blank. But we live in a world of results, and oftentimes people don't know the action to take to produce those results. And rather than measure action, they measure result or measure result only. One of the examples you gave is weight because it's so easy. Getting on the scale is the measurement of a result as opposed to the measurement of an action. So when we're result focused and we're result, you know, when that is all we're attending to, then we get a particular kind of uh, consequence from that activity. And when we measure an action, we get an entirely different uh, set of consequences. Anything to say about that phenomenon and what you've seen people deal with in shifting from a result-measured life to an action-measured life? Yeah. First thing that people have to confront is that they sometimes don't know what it takes, so they have to think accurately. They have to go and talk to people and get what we call specialized knowledge to actually get clear about what it will take. And the beautiful thing about priority and practice is we, we talk about thinking accurately, and I really do ask questions to make certain that I can hear that they've thought accurately about the actions in order to receive the result that they're committed to. But along the way, we're testing every step of the way. We're measuring their compliance with their actions, but we're also measuring how that relates to the result. And I think most people don't do that. For many people in priority and practice, it's an, it opens up their eyes to things because they're either measuring the result, like you pointed to, more often than not, or they're just watching their actions and doing this actions, forgetting about what they were after in the first place. So in priority and practice, we are measuring the actions and they're watching to see their compliance. And then we're looking at the result. And at the end of the program, we have uh, an exit interview where we talk about that and they can really learn something. So if they didn't produce the desired result, we ask questions to look at what happened that they didn't. And sometimes they discover, you know what, I didn't think accurately at all. Sometimes they say, wow, I didn't actually do what I said I was going to do. That's why I didn't produce the result. For some people, they produce the actions and they produce the result. And for them, it's kind of like, wow, if I just do what I say I'm going to do consistently, reliably over time, I'm going to produce that. And that's a wake up call for people. If you'd like to decode the mysteries of an ambitious life, you can register for the Influence Ecology webinar called Ambitious Living, The Eight Defining Principles. This free one-hour webinar offers eight principles practiced by the most successful and effective men and women we know. To give you a taste, here's one of the principles. It's called accurate thinking. The essential idea is this, you and I are always transacting to produce a better income, influential identity, and satisfying work. These situations, money, career, and work, are but three of 14 unavoidable conditions of life. If you don't think accurately about these conditions and how you'll satisfy each of them, you will likely produce hardship for yourself and your family. 
So how do you think accurately about these and other conditions of life? Attend the webinar to find out more. Once registered, you'll receive the 2016 edition of Ambitious Living, a 12-page guide offering a blueprint for the eight defining principles, each of which asks important questions to help direct your aims. To learn more, you can find the link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast, or from your mobile phone, you can click the image art for this episode to find a link to register. Okay, back to the show. So we really get into the nitty gritty of measuring everything in this program so that once you know how to do this, you take it into other areas of your life. And that's one of the things that people say at the end of every program, at the exit interview is, I now know what it will take for me to be able to produce results in these other areas of my life. I know exactly how to set up a plan to do that. And a lot of people will tell me from the beginning that yes, they know this notion of setting goals is good, mm-hmm. but they really didn't know what setting goals meant if you were committed to getting the result. So does that address your question? It does. I, I think it's useful for you and I to ask ourselves the question, how come it is the way it is, generally speaking, for most people? I think of people who struggle with certain things. You know, there are many industries that are built to help people with weight and and money and so forth. And I find that the more I inspect those things or talk to people, that what we do and how we do it is quite uncommon. And it seems it seems to be so logical. (laughs) (laughs) But in any regards, I would expect that perhaps people do things the way they do because what you just described seems like a lot of work or if I measured the actions, sure, I might meet that over time. And if I did that the way you described, I could do that myself, right? So why do you think people don't? Well, left to our own devices, we have really bad habits and practices. So I assert from the beginning of the program when people come, and I, you know, I know something about most of them, but I tell them, look, you do not have good habits and practices in place to satisfy your aims. We're going to provide for you an environment. And that's the first thing, John, is we provide what we call a consequential environment. And in the priority and practice program, it's a fewfold. So one thing that we do every single week is in the beginning, I assign certain practices that they're supposed to do and I measure it. So they report whether or not they did them and it goes up on a screen. We call it the dashboard and people can take a look at their name and they can take a look at their compliance. And then of course, they look at everybody else's and the person, and it's inevitable every time somebody gets a low score on their compliance, guess what happens next week? Their compliance goes way up. Why? Because none of us, no ambitious adult, nobody wants to be at the bottom. So that is the first consequence that we create that's so powerful. And yes, to some people, it agitates them. They don't like it. They don't want other people to know. All of that goes on for for many of the people that are in the program. But they also understand that left to their own devices, they're not going to produce the result. That social environment is huge. 
So that's one thing. Second thing we do, John, and this is the one that people uh, definitely report is incredibly powerful, but it's also confronting, is we create a contract that includes a consequence of not taking the actions. So left to our own devices, if we don't want to, if we wake up one morning and we don't want to do something, we may not do it. But if you knew that if you didn't do it, you were going to have a very big consequence, that consequence says, I'm going to do it. And when we create consequences, we are creating consequences that make taking the actions a foregone conclusion. Hmm. So uh, I'm not going to get into a lot of them, but you know, we are looking at things that you don't want to have happen. So one of my favorites is somebody's consequence was that if she didn't do the actions, and by the way, folks, consequences are always against actions. We don't have control of the results. The only thing we can promise and we have absolute control of is the actions that we're going to take with a commitment to produce the result. So this particular person, her consequence, if she didn't take the actions, was she had to go and campaign for an opposing political party four hours a week for six months. Oh, my God. (laughs) Now. I don't know about you, but the thought of the opposing political party, and right now with what's going on in the U.S. and all the politics, nobody wants the opposing party to win, to to campaign for that opposing party four hours a week for six months, that would get me to do just about anything. So so that person put that into the contract and agreed to yes. that agreed that if they didn't take the actions, that that consequence would- Would go into effect. Okay. Well, that's very good. So I want to come back to that in just a minute because, uh, you know, the, the talk today will be on consequence from, from Kirkland right? because it's such a big deal. I'd like to take a journey aside for just a minute and talk to you specifically about consequence because it seems so missing. Mm-hmm. And you could even say that perhaps consequence uh, or a consequential environment has begun to disappear over the last 40 or 50 years, I think it's coming back into vogue. <laughs> but certainly consequence has been removed in so many ways and in so many cases. Anything you want to say about what we mean by that? What I can say is, is, is people are not awake to their actions matter, that their actions and what they do matter to other people. And mostly they're only present to their own selves. So they move in certain ways and it has an impact on others. And when others can't say, hey, listen, there's a consequence to your behavior, there's no impetus to change one's behavior. I deal with that a lot here at the university. There are people who who don't do what they're supposed to do in their jobs, but we don't have a consequential environment. We don't have an environment that says, hey, listen, if you don't continue to do your work, this is what's going to happen. And that's expensive to any organization. That's incredibly expensive. But it's not just expensive to the organization. It's expensive, what I'll call emotionally expensive to everybody around them. If we could create more consequential environments, an environment that kind of also inspires people, because... I get inspired to take action when I get afraid of not taking action. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. If we could create that kind of environment where 
People knew that if they didn't do what they said they were going to do, there may be some kind of consequence. We'd have a whole different world, John. I mean, a whole different world. I would ask any listener that knows this reference I'm about to make to, to send it to me because I, I, I heard about it, I believe, on a radio show someplace. Someone studied the playground. I don't know about you, Marnie, but the playground I grew up on, if you fell off the jungle gym, you would land on a pile of rocks, gravel or something, (laughs) maybe concrete. The playground might be dangerous, you could say, because it wasn't like the playground of today. The playground of today is padded. Yes. You practically can't hurt yourself in any way, shape, or form. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but I'm trying to make the point that we've done a lot of things like that where we remove the lesson learned for something consequential and it may produce a particular kind of environment for us so here at influence ecology we actually recognize that people thrive in a consequential environment i think marty one of the things that's surprising to us even is The more consequential we make something, the more that we produce a consequence for people because it's so absent in so many places. But the more that we produce a consequential environment for satisfying the aims for work, for career, for money, for relationship, for all of those different conditions of life, the more that we produce that consequential environment, the more people are hungry for it. That is so true. For example, we have a gentleman who's in priority and practice right now. It's his fourth time taking the program. And why he's taking the program. Now, this is not for everybody, but why he keeps taking the program is because he loves that consequential environment. And he said, look, if I could keep taking this program for the rest of my life, I would be thriving in every aspect of my life. Mm. I don't think you need to keep taking priority and practice for the rest of your life, okay? You really don't. Taking it once and then going and applying it is perfect. But he loves the environment, so he keeps taking it. There's quite a few people who have retaken this program because it is such a consequential environment, and people thrive, They thrive around those consequences. And John, people leave. One gentleman said when he left Priority in Practice, he said, I learned so much, but the most important thing I learned is I rediscovered who I am. He just came to rediscover his own power that in other environments he gave up and was missing. But in this particular environment, he started to thrive and he found himself and this guy like close to doubled his income while in the program. I mean, he, it was ridiculous the kinds of things he achieved. But that's the, that's the power of the consequential environment. You also start to know yourself as somebody who's more powerful. You, you begin to know you can say, I don't know who that baseball player was who pointed and got a home run. That's, that's what this program provides, is you can start to point, and then you go after it, and this environment makes certain that you win. Very good. Well, let's let's go to uh, some takeaways here. Let's say that I'm someone and I, I'm in the priority and practice program and I'm moving through the program. What do they do first when they're looking at some particular aim they've got? Take us through that process. What do they do? How do they get to the result we speak of? Mm-hmm. I'm going to answer it by talking about the whole aspect of the program. Okay. First off, in the first six weeks of the program, we are assigning specific practices to you. And they are practices that are designed to support your biology and your thinking. 
So I'll give you an example of only one of the practices. We assign a practice for people to sleep eight hours. The overwhelmed, overcommitted business professional, the thought of that, they're, they're crazy. They just go nuts. And I still assign eight hours of sleep. By the end of the program, people are 90 to 95% compliant with that particular practice. They're loving it and they're more productive. If you sleep your eight hours, you'll be more productive the next day. So the first six weeks, we're really learning about the habits and practices and developing them. Then the next six weeks, you do create a plan and you look at three areas of your life. You look at a health aim, you look at a money aim, and then you look at an, another area or another condition of life that's important to you. We recommend that you go in the direction of your business, but you don't have to. People have taken on relationship aims and different aims. So you just pick a different aim and then you develop a plan. You create a goal that you want to achieve in the next six weeks. And the goal is whatever's important to you. And then we ask you to look at what are one to three actions that you need to take to produce that goal. And that's where accurate thinking comes in. I'll go back to the easy one, weight loss. There's 10, 20 things you could do. Well, people can't put 10 or 20. We want them to focus on three things, one to three things. So they come up with what are those actions? And then we look at, okay, let's say one of the actions is to drink, you know, 80 ounces of water a day. How many days are you going to do that? So they commit to the amount of days they're going to do that. And so they're committing to three actions, one to three actions, and then how many times a week they're going to do that. They do that for their health, they do that for their money, and they do that for one other aspect of their life. Now, John, that sounds simple, and you would think that would be a very simple thing to do. But the truth is many, many people struggle with it because they can't think objectively. So many people, John, aren't able to come up with a ending measure and a starting measure that is actually measurable. They want to come up with an, an example in the area of maybe health is, I want to feel better. Well, we work to get an objective measurement so that you actually know if you're producing it or not. To do that, they have an interview with me. We call it a program plan interview. And in that interview, I ask a lot of questions. I listen to the, to the thinking, and then I will pass the plan. And once the plan is passed, you're now contracted with me. And by the way, you do create a consequence that if you don't take the actions, this is the consequence, similar to the one I talked about before, the political one, then they start to move. And every week they're reporting on their actions. If they promise to do something six days, then they're reporting on every single week how many days they did that. And we're putting up on the dashboard everybody's compliance with their actions. So people are seeing how each other are moving. And again, if somebody's producing 100% of their actions and you're producing 70%, it's a bit of a wake-up call. And then at the end of the program, we, we assess. And we really look at the result that got produced and the actions. And did those actions, was your thinking accurate in producing that result? And the truth of the matter is, John, it doesn't matter. Yes, we want them to satisfy their aim. Absolutely. But the point of this program is to learn that process. And no matter what result gets produced, 
you learn about the process and you can start to see, oh, wow, I did think accurately, I didn't, or maybe next time these are the actions I would take. So it sparks a whole level of thinking, which then people start to apply that new thinking and they continue to produce results following the program. So good. And from all of the programs I've seen you lead, there's, I think it's 90. It, the, the compliance and the accomplishment is sort of off the chart. I, I don't think people would believe us if we'd said so. How come you think it's so high? Is it because of the consequential environment? Anything else you'd like to say about how you come you think those, those measures are so high? I think it's two really key things, John. I think it is a consequential environment. Absolutely. There is a second element that I haven't talked about, and that is a particular mantra for this program. And the mantra that we have for this program is stop, think, plan. And when people start to move with that mantra, their reactions to things, their biology and how they react, they can stop and they start to do accurate thinking. So in this particular program, the consequential environment is huge, but I talk stop, think, plan so many times that I've had people talk to me six months after the program going, you know what? I still use stop, think, plan, and I don't say yes all the time anymore. I used to say yes all the time, but that whole mantra of stop, think, plan has people really consider Am I going to say yes to this invitation coming at me or this offer coming at me? And they start to ask themselves, will this satisfy my aims? And they begin to really look at that. And people will say no. And and that helps them have more time. And when you have more time in your day, you can start to satisfy your own aims. So it is absolutely the consequential environment, but it's also the opportunity to to say no to certain things, they're no longer overcommitted. And when you're not overcommitted, you're going to produce the results that are most important to you. You're not sort of giving your best to, uh, to everything or trying to give your best to everything. You're now giving your best to what's most important to you. Marnie, it's just been a pleasure to speak with you today. Uh, I want to give you the opportunity if there's anything else you'd like to say. This has been fun. I love this. <laughs> I, I, I'll say this. To those of you who have participated in other programs, Priority in Practice is not a junior program. No, it's not. <laughs> it is an incredibly powerful program, and it complements FOT. People who take Priority in Practice first go into FOT with an edge, and they don't stumble with the language. They do really, really well. People who complete FOT come into Priority in Practice. It solidifies the FOT learning, and that's pretty phenomenal. Very good. FOT, that's the Fundamentals of Transaction Program. If you'd like to know more about that program or the Priority in Practice program, you can find those in the curriculum section of our website. Well, Marnie, it's been great to speak with you. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so very much. Thanks, John. You're welcome. Today, I offer a talk by co-founder Kirkham Tibbles on the subject of consequence. You can see there is much to learn about this particular topic. In the context of transactional competence, consequence is both a result of action, but also an often missing component of transactions that lead to failure. A friend of mine I've known for 35 years, and about a year ago or so, I had it hearing about this good intention of this particular person 
writing that book that this guy's been talking about writing for years. And I finally said, listen, I, I don't know that you're really going to ever get committed to this. And after a little bit of dialogue, I said, fine, then if you're really serious about it, I want you to write me a check for $500 and don't date it. Just sign it. Give me the check. And let's set a schedule for the work in action. You set the schedule, but you're going to commit to that work in action. And every time you miss one of those, I'm going to send this check to a particular political party that I know that you detest. And every time you miss, you have to send me another check. And every time you miss one of those measurable commitments that you know it will be, and in this case, it's writing for a certain number of hours one day a week. And on that day, this individual for right at a little, right about a year, maybe a little bit over a year here, started just about this time last year. This individual has written on that day. And to verify it, because he's a performer, some personalities will do what they say they're going to do. Some you have to kind of watch a little bit. And performers, you want to, he has to clock in by email on that day. So I just get an email and it says clocking in. And I've done this with probably a dozen people in the, in the influence ecology. And in my life over time, I've done it, I don't know how many times. And for myself, I do the same thing. Now, I'm happy to report that book's almost done. And I haven't had to cash that check because this political party is untenable for this guy. So it, it was more about where I was going to send the $500 than it was the $500. And for some people, it's got to be really drastic because it's just simply never going to be painful enough for some people to deal with consequence. This works with cell staff. It works with spouses. It works with kids. It's when we recognize that something is important enough that we say we are willing to commit to work in action to produce that consequence. If you really mean it, then articulate a consequence. Because if the consequence of that work itself, just writing a book, if the consequence of just having that book written was enough, he would have written the book. But human beings tend to be more inspired to move away from things that hurt or that are uncomfortable or that are painful or difficult than they do to move toward opportunity. And I can take you through and, and I can point you in directions of all kinds of psychology and why we as the kind of creature that we are move this way. But the fact is that's how human beings move. They move away from pain and discomfort and toward comfort. In moving with and coordinating action with other human beings to satisfy our aims, we've got to learn how to produce consequence. And what that looks like is a proper commitment. It looks like making something simple to do and to do over a period of time. It's real simple. Sit down and write. I, we didn't say sit down and write well. It is sitting down and writing. That's the action. I don't cash the check if it's lousy. I just cash the check if the guy doesn't do what he said he was going to do. And that's how we coordinate action in those transactions that are the most important and that will satisfy our most lofty aim. There is something missing between possibility and commitment for most people. And that's a not only a clear articulation of a possibility that came out of many possibilities when you were in speculation and in wonder and in no idea it was a bad idea. Of all the possibilities, 
if you want to move effectively in a transaction, it's incumbent to get to a possibility, a clear possibility. So if that question starts off with without a clear possibility, a possibility, you're going to be in trouble from the very beginning without a clear possibility, the singular piece of that a thing that produces a result. And then there is a move to make, and that is to be crystal clear and have a meeting of the minds about your intentions to act. I can't tell you the number of people who brag about their ability to take possibility into work and action, and I just stand there and go, well, did you, you skip two of the most critical aspects of a transaction by not having a meeting of the minds about your intentions to act. What exactly do you intend to do, and what exactly does the other party intend to do or not do? And if you're not there, you can forget about ever constructing a powerful offer that will get accepted and then committed to with consequence because you're going to rush into work and action without a meeting of the minds about the specific and objective things tactically that you must do. And there's where the complexity rests. If you don't take these steps, then you'll jump into the work in action and start trying to figure out what it was you committed to and what it was you really intended to satisfy. You ever been involved in a, in a transaction and then decided you probably should have gotten a contract? How many of you have gone to work without a contract fully flushed out with all the terms, conditions, and consideration? Every time I ask that question in an open training session, almost every hand goes up. It's because that's the way the modern marketplace tends to work. We rush into action, and we invent at that time a tremendous amount of complexity rather than taking our time to get a meeting of the minds about the specific intentions to act, my intent to act and your intent to act, and then memorialize that in a commitment of terms and conditions that have consequence, money. You know, I've had people <laughs> mowing yards for a year. You don't want to mow my yard for a year, and all you have to do is write for an hour, and I don't care if your writing's any good. You'll care if your writing is any good. My job on this end of the transaction is to get you to do the work and take the action. And if you're right and you're a good writer, the consequence will be a good book. But we're going to find out, aren't we, if it's a good book. But we won't get there at all if you don't do the work and take the action. And it's got to be a simple tactical task. To make it simple, it's got to be contractually sound. And that takes a lot of work. Otherwise, you're jumping into complexity. If you'd like to know more about influence ecology and our approach, check out our webinar, Ambitious Living, The Eight Defining Principles. The webinar is available globally. We'll teach you the core principles practiced by the most successful and effective men and women we know. This webinar is for those who aspire to an influential life that provides measurable satisfaction for themselves, their family, and their organizations. This webinar is specifically designed for those who don't want to sacrifice a well-balanced life for superior financial rewards. They want it all. To find out more, you can find the link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008. 
and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word AMBITION to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. In our next episode, we feature an interview with Tamara Kleinberg, the founder of The Shook, an online testing ground for new products. Right before Influence Ecology, it was actually, I think, what really prompted me to sign up in the first place. I was extremely naive. I had these big goals and, oh my God, I'm going to achieve these amazing things. People are going to find it irresistible and it's fantastic. That is where I'm headed. And then I had no way of getting there. And I don't mean the specific strategic plan. I mean the mindset and the roadmap for actually figuring out how one goes from point A to point B. So I was spinning my wheels and I was really naive to my lack of understanding of what I was even saying. I mean, what I've been saying wasn't even realistic. It was based on absolutely, I pulled it out of my butt every single time. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to share it with others, you can find it and share it from our website at influenceecology.com. You can also find us on iTunes to subscribe. We'd love to know what you think, so please take a moment and offer us a review. Thank you for another great episode of the Influence Ecology podcast. I'm your host, John Patterson. I'd like to thank our guest for a great interview. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with them and all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. This podcast is made possible by the brilliant work of the Influence Ecology staff, mentors, and members around the world. We're grateful for co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and his 30-plus years of specialized study and practice that make all this possible. And finally, thanks to our producer, Jason Kelly. Editing and music by Bellringer Productions, music supervisors, Dashley LeCorps, and Marcus Bell.